Welcome to the Western New York Entrepreneur Podcast, helping Western New York entrepreneurs take the next step in their business. If you love Western New York and entrepreneurship, this is the podcast for you. Whether you have been in business for 20 years or 20 minutes, there is something for everyone. David Schaub interviews the top entrepreneurs in Western New York so you can take your next step in your own business. Hey, welcome to today's podcast. Welcome to Western New York Entrepreneur, where we help entrepreneurs take the next step in their business. And we have a great interviewee today. We have Greg from Twisted Rope Digital Agency. Say hi, Greg. Hey, how you doing? Good. So, uh, you know, we're here downtown Buffalo this morning. And, you know, before we dive in, as always, Greg, if you could just tell the audience, what should they know about you versus me trying to regurgitate your bio? Sure. Uh, Well, I'll speak to Twisted Rope. Uh, So it's Years ago, when I got started in this business, it would be referred to as a website development company. Uh, but since then, the web and everything around it has evolved. So now we're a, we speak of ourselves as a digital agency, which means we create content that is for supporting marketing, sales, recruiting, any type of messaging a company wants to have that's going to end up on a screen, whether it's a computer screen, a smartphone, a tablet, wherever it might appear. So we're producing that content. So we have graphic designers, animators, motion graphic artists, uh, developers, and project managers. Uh, We are also located in, we have offices in Amsterdam, over in Europe, as well as our largest cluster, I'd call it, rather than our central office is here in Buffalo. And then we have an office out in LA as well. Wow, so that's cool. So what made you, maybe maybe it's, it's too hard of a question to ask in short, but how did you guys branch out to Amsterdam? Well, <laughs> one of the things, well, we engage, our clients uh, range from large multinationals. Uh, our largest client has over 350,000 employees worldwide. So in those scenarios, we're oftentimes engaging with teams that have disparate team members. Uh, They embrace a uh, work from wherever is most convenient for you to work to be productive type of philosophy for the entire corporation. So we may work with a team where the team lead is in Berlin and then she has an assistant or uh, other support team member who might be in Chicago and then LA. So we align our offices and our staff so that we're in the same time zone as each of those key stakeholders. So there's nothing worse than a client drumming her fingers, waiting for a response because the office doesn't open for another six hours. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. So for those who don't, you know, for the listeners that don't know you, uh, how long have you been in business? And if you know me asking, how many staff members are on payroll? Okay, so we're a total of 29 employees. Uh, we are we have four in the office in Amsterdam. We have two working remotely within Europe. Uh, then we have somebody re- working remotely in sorry in Canada and then we also have the team in LA. And as of how long we've been in business, well the actual this company came from another one. We used to be headquartered our headquarters were, were out of Tokyo. And the local management team actually purchased control of this the American entity about two years ago and that's when we rebranded so we went through a rebranding process of our own uh, something we do for our clients we did for ourselves so the name Twisted Rope has been in existence since July 2016 okay so but our client relationships we have some relationships that date back I first made that first cold call back in 98 Okay. For some of the clients. So, it doesn't uh, seem that long for me, you know, yeah. but, but it, wow, 98, yeah, that yeah, was a little bit ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell people that I, when 
so my background is I actually. Uh, so yeah, so if you want me to get into that. Sure. Um, yeah, because that's awesome. And by the way, before for the listeners, I know you want, you know, you want to learn and you want to grow and you want to implement something from this podcast. And I'm with you, but I think I'd be doing the audience a disservice if they don't know colorful of a past you have. Because me and Greg talked right before this podcast and I was like, I was like, wow, that's, I was kind of blown away by what you've done and where you've been. So before we dive into the nitty gritty learning and sure. things that we apply, I just think, again, I'm doing a disservice. So tell us about you. Okay, well, my background actually is uh, I spent a year as an exchange student in Japan. Uh, and then I did a year of university in Japan. My intent was not to be in Buffalo. When I was 19 years old, if you said, where are you going to be, Greg? I was like, Tokyo. There's no question about it. I was putting all my chips on that Japan, you know, that Japan color and I was, you know, roll the dice, baby, we're going to, and then the bubble burst in Japan, if anybody can remember back in the days, Japan was the China of the time. It was the economic juggernaut, particularly in the 80s and everything, you know, they bought, they were buying up California, they bought Rockefeller Center, everyone's saying the future is Japan, and then boom, they had this big bubble burst on their real estate. They had over leveraged, uh, just the, the economy has not recovered since then. Uh, so to condense things down, uh, at that time, I was so out of college. I was working. I was selling s- steel for Sumitomo Corporation of America. So I've been the dial and smile guy, and I've you know made 400 calls in a week to get 40 interests, and then closing four, and boom, boom, boom. And then what I did is I said I'm not enjoying this. I want to do something different. So I actually uh, co-founded us. We started to sell ice hockey equipment in Japan. It was an opportunity to say, what could we buy in the United States and sell at a significant markup in Japan? That's how we got started. So I've been in the retail business. I've schlepped all over Japan talking to coaches and uh, players on club teams of Japanese hockey teams. You must speak Japanese. I do speak. Yeah. yeah. I still speak. uh, You know, it's it's rusty. It's had not as many years uh, speaking it as as I'd like to, but I can can handle a conversation. I can go over there and pretty much be English free. But um, so then what happened is we knew the store wasn't going to make it long term. And it was not a huge growth pattern there. So this thing called the internet came along. Uh, We looked at a mosaic browser and we were saying, oh my God, this is the future. So we quickly changed over to being a, we got into multilingual website development. So that was in the early 90s. So the things kind of happened. And and so on the US side, I ended up being on the US side of things. And and then these, these two planes hit two towers in New York City and things just changed overnight. Nobody was buying multilingual website development services. Mm-hmm. And so I saw my company basically tanking. I mean, it was, it was, if anyone's been there, it's a horrible feeling. You go in and you're just like, there's no calls coming in. People don't want our services. I am calling out and people are just, I have other things to deal with. You're watching your expenses just stick there as they've all been. And you're looking at people and going, I got to let these people go or I got to sell to someone else. And that's what I did. I sold out to another agency here in town. Anybody who's in the Buffalo area might recall Algonquin Studios. So I became a partner there, and that's where I ran, ran into my mentor, a guy by the name of Steve Kiernan, who was a consultant by trade, and he actually was the one who showed me <laughs> how wrong I had been and how I ran my previous company. Okay. Uh, he showed me, and I used to call them boulders of wisdom because he would drop them on me, it would hurt, and it was emotionally hurting. It wasn't like a guy came up and punched me or anything like that. It was just, you know, you really cut to the core and basically said, you were deluding yourself. You never really had the opportunity that you thought. You you had a great idea. You were presenting to people great value. You just weren't 
doing A, B, C, and D. And so I learned at the knee of Steve Kiernan on how to run a time and materials-based business. Time, you know, billing, you know, utilization, realization, all those key components that you need to know in order to run a successful time-based operation, whether you're an accountant, an attorney, an agency, you know, anybody who's in the dollars for hours business needs to understand those things. And I had the benefit of having a mentor who knew it through and through. So now, would you consider that the turning point? That was a significant point in which it was, uh, you know, I had to face up and and. And I, I anticipate at some point you might ask me the question, you know, what, what, what were some big mistakes you made, Greg? Well, one of the biggest mistakes I made was I didn't really, I, I, a friend of mine said, another entrepreneur, he said, you know, the difference between me as the owner and my team is when there's a problem, they run from it, I turn and face it. And that's what I was not doing. I was not facing the true issues that I had. I was avoiding them. I was not having that uncomfortable conversation with either a client or with an employee or honestly with myself. I was, you know, and that's, you know, stripping things down to the truth of the situation. It's something that, you know, that never stops. You know, you never hit a point where you say, Everything's great. We've hit this plateau and things will always be good. No, you get up the next morning and the world is a consistent, what have you done for me lately? In fact, what are you going to do for me today scenario? That's so good. And I want to catch back on that later. So let's finish the story. Okay. Because this story's good. So um, so, yeah. we, so at that point, um, my wife had started a charter school. And it was a charter school uh, here in Buffalo, an enterprise charter school. She'd come out of the Buffalo school system. And she thought she wanted to create a charter school that focused on at-risk students, which are students that qualify for free and reduced lunch program. If you're qualifying for the free and reduced lunch program, you have an extremely low annual income. So it would be categorized as what, you know, layman's terms, poor. Uh, but they're also the highest at-risk population for not succeeding in an educational environment. So they had come up with a model that I saw as being successful. And I had just come off a, an engagement through Algonquin Studios in which I was helping Caldwell Banker Europe roll out a, franchi- a, a, a digital platform for franchises across Europe. And so I was very embedded in that whole idea of how to do a franchise. And I was like, well, geez, here's a successful educational program that I could replicate and essentially, you know, franchise it. Not to say that this was going to be a for-profit scenario, but it was taking that idea of if you have a good business model and you can replicate it and follow the best practices, you're probably more likely going to be successful, right? I mean, McDonald's proved that years ago, right? If you know how to do hamburgers and french fries right and you teach someone else how to do it, but they're geographically in a different location, they're probably going to be successful as well. Mm-hmm. So opened up a charter school. All we had was a charter, which was basically saying you have the right to start a school. So I dealt with the, you know, the developer on a building. We didn't even have a location. Helped hire all the staff. I was operational and financial. Uh, and then we had a director who was actually the curriculum. So she would be equivalent to a principal. So I got to really know. And on that one, which is interesting, was I had to report to a board. Okay. And so I was the chief financial officer. And I had to, every month, report to the board. And our board president was a CPA. So those financials had better be soup to nuts, clean. I had to be able to work every single number on that balance sheet, the profit loss statement. I had to do projections and budgets and hold to them. And I had a CPA looking over my shoulder all the time. Yeah. So that was kind of like a real world, let's take a full blown accounting course, right? So I had to be, and, every, and I was being asked questions that oftentimes, 
you know, it would be, it wasn't business people asking me these questions. These were non-business people asking me financial questions. So I had to get better at explaining numbers to people who weren't numbers people. Which hobby helped you later in this oh, business. Oh, huge, huge. Yeah, that was, so I did that for about five years. Um, but the thing about education is once you get, and, and the school is Niagara Charter School, it's very successful. I'm very proud of what we accomplished there. And, and the team there is, fi- is fantastic. Uh, they're, they're performing phenomenally and they're 96% free and reduced lunch kits. That's awesome. So when did you transition to so being the what president? What had happened was, so that Tokyo entity uh, in, got, basically became a global vendor for a very large multinational. And in order for them to begin to do non-Japanese work, they needed to be able to, they have, they needed an entity in the United States. So I moonlighted while I was doing the charter school. I started up the company for them on paper and I was basically doing invoices for them. The work was being produced out of Tokyo and I was just running the paper as I called it. I'm just pushing paper, right? But then they got more and more engagements. And so they're in a situation where like, well, we need to start hiring staff. So they had an employee and that was 2010 and then another employee and then another employee and then they're kind of saying, hey Greg, can you kind of mentor them and check in? And as we, as the company was growing, I was spent, my moonlighting became, you know, it was cutting into my daytime. But what was really interesting is back in the day when I used to have conversations back in my, the earlier entity time in the 90s and early 2000s, the, the conversation was, should we have a website? I mean, that was basically what we were selling. You need a website or don't you need a website? Circa 2012, when I came back in with the company, the skill sets and the capabilities and where the market had developed and you know, smartphones had just come, you know, well, they'd been out for a while, but all the possibilities and the interactivity and all, it was just like, wow, I'm coming back in and I've got a, this is a great skilled team of people. We can create stuff that we had only dreamed of back in 98. That was, so, was a, so I was jumping back in totally enthused i had been through this process of getting you know really getting beaten up you know and and really my mentor steve kiernan really kind of running me through the ringer on hey dude this is how you really run this kind of company i did the charter school where i had to understand financials so i was coming back in with all of those different experiences and applying them to an industry that i had grown up in but i'd been away from Mm-hmm. So I could see it with like more distant eyes, right? And so you, you kind of see that sometimes where you come back to something. Like uh, I, I play hockey, right? I didn't play hockey. I grew up playing hockey. I took off mid-20s to early 30s. I didn't play any hockey because I got burned out on it. But then I came back to the game and I'm playing it now and I'm seeing it through totally different eyes and I appreciate it so much more. Sometimes you need that distance because it's so hard, man. When you're battling every day, and you're getting into the weeds of what you're trying to do, it's really hard to, to have that enthusiasm about it after time, right? And sometimes, sometimes we, some, for some entrepreneurs, it's sometimes they almost disengage and they move on to something new, right? And they hope that they, they're leaving behind enough of a structure that those that are gonna continue to, to, to manage it are gonna do it the way they'd like them to. And, and so they'll go on to something else. Um, I had not intended to do that, but I'm just giving you kind of the, the viewpoint. So I was coming back in in 2012, and since that point, we went from 10 people you know, up to 29. We had been a little higher, and I think I'd mentioned to you when we were talking beforehand, is one of the things I've learned is how at different stages of growth of a company, sometimes it's tied to revenue, but oftentimes it's tied to staffing that the team that got you to that level needs to then empower the next team 
some people would say it below them or behind Kinda them. Kind of like layers in a way. It does layers. You know, we call that middle management layers where the executive team needs to be outward facing, you know, vision, uh, future, those types of things. And if they're consistently being pulled back inside to work on the day-to-day operations, they're not thinking about tomorrow. They're thinking about today. And that's really hard to grow at a certain point where, you know, when, we're, when you're at 15 people and you have a couple executives and their day is, say, 80% inside, 20% outside, that's a mix that doesn't work when you're trying to feed a larger organization. Well, yeah, well that, that's why leaders burn out because you're trying to, especially people that like me, like me, that want to control everything. I want to have a say in everything. And you, you, even just the color of the office, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's too much. Well, and that's one of the things that I oftentimes when I'm talking to, uh, you know, I don't want to say younger entrepreneurs because it's, anyone can be an entrepreneur at any point in time. But the, the clarity that I gained, now I also had gone through a program here through the University of Buffalo. And I'll give a shout out to Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership because I, as I mentioned to you when we were talking earlier, I was, at the time I engaged with them, I think I was uh, 48 years old and we were looking at expanding. So some of my staff wanted to, we needed to establish people in Europe and we needed to establish people on the West Coast because of how our clients were structured. They didn't want to wait those six hours. And I had grown entities in a single location. I had not grown entities in which a good portion of the team is six hours ahead and a good portion of the team is three hours behind. So I said, I need help. You know, and that was another thing. As an entrepreneur, what were my mistakes? I did not learn how much help I needed. Oh, another lesson I learned is I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer. It's something that we, we as, you know, instinctively as an entrepreneur, man, you're selling, 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 pushing your vision, pushing your vision, pushing your vision. And you think saying I don't know is going to crack your armor. And really it's honesty and transparency that really people are oftentimes looking for. Like if you have an answer for everything, no one does. And so if you're pushing that, I'm, I know everything, that turns people, they might not say it to you. So honesty is great. I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer. So. Yeah, so again, thank you so much for sharing that, Greg. And again, I just think that was imperative that we shared your story because it's that good. So that being said, you you kind of went from, if you don't mind me saying this, from risk to risk to risk. And so what stopped you or the way I wrote it down is what didn't stop you from keep taking risks or doing a different endeavor, a different endeavor, a different endeavor? Because it seems like you were sometimes doing one thing after another after another, and which is which you and I are the same person that way. So what, what, stopped, what didn't stop you from taking risks? Um, ignorance is bliss. I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, when I decided to leave Sumitomo Corporation of America selling steel, and yeah, it was gonna be, it was gonna be a stable job. Uh, Sumitomo Corporation is not going anywhere. But it was, for me, it was just boring. Shoot me in the head. I didn't want to be in Houston anymore. That's where I was located. I wanted to be in Japan. So I started a, a sporting goods company. Why not? I can do that. I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. In <laughs> fact, I oftentimes, you know, people are like, do you have an MBA? I say, no, instead I started a business and it cost me just as much. Yeah, and it, that's so smart. And there's a really quick point, you're so right. Sometimes I think they're gonna go like, people, if you wanna be an entrepreneur, why take $70,000 out in student loans? I would take out a business loan. Not mess up, but what, what, I mean, I just want to say real quick. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Because obviously, I want to hear your perspective. Yeah, you know, uh, God, it's so hard when you're starting to see everything. You, you can't see everything. You know, you, you really just make it up as you're going along, and and it's hard because a lot of people want to give you advice, but you're going, wait a second, your point of view. You know, oftentimes we'll seek out people who are quote unquote successful, mm-hmm. but somebody who's successful executive 
within a corporation has never been through the entrepreneurial experience. And oh, that was the point I was trying to, I was thinking about with the Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership, is you're going from a tech, when you're really good at something, you're a technician in my mind, right? So you're fantastic at speaking. You're, you, it's obvious that, that you like to speak and engage with individuals, and that's, that's technician, and that's, you'll be successful with that. But and it's for, for example, someone who's a great chef, right? She's, a, she's in a restaurant and she's just kicking it, man. She's just sending out food that people are just loving. And she says, you know what? I'm the reason why this restaurant is making money because I'm the one who's putting the stuff on the plates, right? So she says, I'm gonna open my restaurant. Guess what? You're no longer a technician. You're an executive because once you do that, she's then in a situation where she's got to worry about all these other things that have nothing to do with how good you can, you know, plate a salmon. It has nothing to do with, and she's in the situation of how do I get those chefs that I'm going to bring in to make the food like I would want it to be made? How do they, how do I make technicians that are as focused and passionate about their craft as I was as a technician? And that's, that's the transition phase. Entrepreneurs are oftentimes thinking, because I'm good at this, I can make a business surrounding this. <clears throat> but once you make a business and you have people working for you, you are now an executive and you are now managing people and all of the skill sets that are gonna be required to manage, manage, motivate, engage, you know, let's be honest, criticize, you know, give a path to, to success, all of that. And like you said, they have those hard conversations. Exactly. So you're kind of going, why aren't they doing it the way I wanted it done? Because they're not you. Because they see things from a different point of view. So So that being said, for those that are going that transitioning from using your word, the technician, right? And they're they're branching off or they're starting or they're in the, the beginning, you know, quote unquote beginning stages. What advice would you give them in a general sense? Wow. In a general sense. Uh, well, first of all, tr- Understand well your business model. How are you truly making money? And what is your value proposition to your clients? Oftentimes we, we assume that the service we're providing is the value we're providing, and it really isn't. For example, in our business, when we lined up with all of the different offices so that we're in the same time zone as our various clients, it had nothing to do with what we were delivering to them. It's the fact that we're responsive. That's a key component. If you want to truly understand what makes Twisted Rope unique is that we are getting back to our clients quicker than our competition. We deliver on time, on budget, meeting expectations. But most importantly, when they send us an inquiry, we are responding to them within an hour, if not quicker. It's responsive. It's respectful. It doesn't have to do with all of the deliverables that we make. So that's the core competing value proposition. So granted, when we talk to a prospective client, we're of course showing examples of work we've done before. You know, we've got, you know, world global viewed content that has passed the muster across, you know, Fortune 500 companies. But the fact of the matter, when we get right down to it, when we deliver the value is they don't have to worry about us getting our part done. We are thinking for their success. So if you're going to start off, you know, my plumber, I bring him in so I don't have to worry about my plumbing. Right? That's really why I'm hiring him. He might be a fantastic plumber. I don't care. I just know that when I leave in the morning and I come back, the problem is fixed. So sometimes understanding best what your true value is. Uh, for example, in terms of a restaurant. If you've been to a restaurant where it's a fantastic experience, you just love it, the food's eh, but you're going to come back anywhere because it's ambiance. 
Do you think maybe that owner knows that? Maybe <laughs> she knows it's the experience and not the food. But if the experience isn't there, she better be on that food, right? So it's kind of understanding. It's so good. Here. And just to piggyback off what you said, like I, I interviewed this guy, uh, Mike Dozapo owns Eat Right Foods. He goes, and it's a meal prep service. And I, when I was thinking like, okay, you have to have food that's really healthy and it's got to be, you know, this certain way. I thought it was all about weight loss, long story short. And he's like, Dave, it's not about muscles, it's not about abs, it's about food, it's good food that people want to keep coming back because if the food isn't delicious and great, you know, kind of like a fad, you're going to be off in two weeks and they want that repeat service. So it really, I'm like, wow, that's so smart. Well, one of the things I had heard an interview with the, the new CEO of Uber, and I can never remember his name. And so everyone listening, like, how do you not know the name of the Uber? I don't know. CEO? I, I don't yeah, know Yeah, because I have other things to worry about. But, and I'm also a story guy. So he was talking about the fact that with Uber, what they actually are is they're actually a, they're essentially a placement firm. They are using, think about their drivers are essentially, they're, they're applying or allocating their free time to driving. So Uber's looking at other things like, okay, if we have a driver who's also an accountant or has, a, has an accounting capability or bookkeeping is a better example, has a bookkeeping capability, well, when she's not driving, if she wants to do bookkeeping, why don't we set it up so that she can offer through Uber bookkeeping services? And I went, I thought Uber was a transportation company. It's not, it's a resource allocation company. Mm -hmm. That's really what, and so when he said it, I went, whoa, that, wow, mind blown. Now I gotta look at them completely differently. That, okay, that's a key differentiator that I hadn't really been seeing because I was seeing where their service hits the customer as being their true entity, their true being, but it wasn't. He was looking at it in a different sense. He's like, we have all of these people in our network who have all of these different skill sets. All we need to do is harness them to be doing other things than just driving, right? Because we only have them, say, for four hours a day driving for us. If the other four hours of the day, they're doing what they want to be doing or something else they're capable of doing, we should facilitate that. And I was just like, wow, that's, 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 you know, so if you look at a lot of these, you know, the tech startups and stuff, they, they have a really good way of distilling down. It's almost like we remember in chemistry class when you had put like a liquid in the crucible and you'd boil it away and you would get the final granular essence of what's there. That's what they're able to really do is truly understand what is the value that they are delivering to the person. Is it convenient? And it's oftentimes it boils down to very simple things. Convenience, right? Lack of worry consistency. I mean, it's like the saying about McDonald's. A McDonald's Big Mac tastes the same in New York City as it does in Istanbul or Tokyo. It's consistency. I know when I walk in what I'm going to get. And, and believe me, I don't, you know, I'm not a huge McDonald's fan, but I know what I'm going to get. And that's what they're pushing for is consistency, consistency, consistency. Sure, they're pushing burgers, but they got to be consistent burgers. Yeah, and that makes sense. Hey, really quick. If you love what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to this podcast. Leave a review and rate it. It takes 10 seconds, but it means so much to me. Let others know about it. If you know a Western New York entrepreneur who is killing it right now and should be interviewed, please introduce them to me. Again, I want to keep this thing going, so please leave a review and share it on your social media platform of your choice so others know about this. That's so good. And, you know, usually when I'm doing a podcast interview for, you know, entrepreneurs here in Western New York, I'm usually asking like eight, nine, ten questions. But what's really cool is that 
there's so many great, I'll use the word nuggets, there's so many great nuggets in these stories. I'm saying you're going, oh, that was good. Oh, I learned something from here. And you, sometimes there's eight, nine points in each of these. So I love that this interview has been so different in that you're learning so much about the stories because I love our stories because we can't get them wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, yeah. and knowing about our stories, but people can learn from it and people can relate to that. And that's, that's so good. And there's so many, there's so much applicable, applicable stuff that you just mentioned. So that being said, I want to go back to your friend, your, your mentor that really helped you in that turning point. Who, can you repeat his name? Steve Kiernan. Steve Kiernan. Okay. So it's probably not fair to ask this question, but what were two or three things that he taught you or brought up to you, maybe those those boulders, using your sure, words, sure, where sure. you're like, ooh, that's like a light bulb. Well, there, there's one uh, for well, our listeners. Sure, yeah. and one of the things is, uh, especially in our business, where and c- contractors face this, accountants face this. Anytime you're doing an estimate based upon hours, and what you find is, if you're going over on a project. Right, so you're going. Oh crap! I had, you know, I was assuming this was going to take 20 hours, and um, my billable rate's 100. I'm looking at, you know, two thousand dollars. Uh oh, I'm now at 30. I do the math. My realization rate is now below my my given rate. And what he, it's actually up on my wall right there. Bad money pushes out good money which is you gotta get that, people will avoid it. They'll just like, oh, I don't wanna deal with it. You gotta push that project to completion because, okay, it's at $85 an hour. Now it's at $75 an hour, right? That, your opportunity cost is there as well. Meaning all of those, as that's dropping, that realization rate for every hour you're putting in to get that project done, you're losing the oppor- that hour to bill at your $100 rate or your $200 rate. So you gotta just, you gotta drive to completion. You've got those most painful projects, the one you're like, oh, if the client calls me again, I'm gonna scream. Oh, I hope they don't call. Face up to the fact you gotta get that done and off. And don't worry about the fact that you might be bleeding out. You just gotta get it done to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. And then take the time to go back and go, objectively, and this is the hardest part. Well, real quick, if you don't mind interrupting you. So so is that a mistake that you think you're making before where you would just kind of half-ass the rest of it or like kind of not give your all? I'd avoid it. I'd go on to the next one, right? So you wouldn't finish the project at all? It would just be like, well, if the client's not calling me, right? Because I don't want it. It's like almost, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's like a, maybe an argument you have with a friend. You're like, well, if he doesn't call me, that's fine. It'll, it'll work itself out, right? <laughs> yeah. So it was it was the avoidance. It was it was not facing to the issue of going. No, we've got to drive. It was on to the next money. And you see this with contractors in particular. Like I had a kitchen that was 95% done. You know how long it took us to get that last 5% done? Eight months. Because wow. the guy didn't want. The guy had other projects, right? Mm-hmm. He was like on to new money. He was on to new greener pastures. But I'm this cancer that is just festering. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Do you think I recommend him to anybody? I hear his name and I'm like, dude, don't go there, mm. right? Turn it around, I'm a connector, that's my nature. I recommend people left, right, and center. He didn't realize that I'm sitting there going, dude, if he, got, if he had come back and just said, you know what, I'm gonna push out this other project for one day, it would have taken him one devoted eight-hour day to just get all my stuff done. And not only that, but that's, you're so right, you, you hit the hammer on the nail here. But you know what? The harder, the longer it took him, actually after like a month or even a couple of weeks, he's like, oh, I don't, want, I don't want to go there. It's too long. Then a month and two months and four months and eight months. And you're like, oh, you know, it gets harder. Or even if you go back, and even in projects that we would have, you know, back in my, my old existence, you go back, you know, the client finally just pins you down and says, damn it, Greg, get this done. And I'd be like, oh man, I don't even remember what was really where we were at. 
right? Yeah. I've, I've been on to the other side. So when he came back into my kitchen, he's like, so what were the issues? Oh man, I wanted to shoot myself at that point. You know, I was just so, oh, you're killing me. And that's the thing is that dis, so it is amazing. Bad money pushes out good is you're, you're just not getting the thing done. You're, you're essentially, all those hours that you're spending waffling on it and not getting it done is stuff that you're not, you're, clean it out, get it done, get it. You know, if you gotta take the plate back from the person, and redo their dish and put it out for them. Just do it. Don't sit there. I see it so many times with, you know, I'm, I'm using restaurants for an, an analogy because, you know, people, everybody eats at restaurants. And mm-hmm. they, they, I hate it when the, the server argues with me. It's like, look, I, I'm going to be paying 26 bucks for this entree or 40 bucks for this entree. If it's not the way I like it, I want you to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, or ma'am, if you please, right? That's what you're there to do for me. I'm like, I'm gonna be paying for this. Why sit there and say, well, it doesn't, it look, what, what? <laughs> just get it done, right? So if you just take the plate away and you bring another one back, you're still gonna be making the 26 bucks. Yeah, you might have to swap out one part of it, but just replace that part. And you know what? I'm gonna be satisfied and there's a good chance I'm gonna say, you know what? When they faced a problem with me, they resolved it, they got it done, thumbs up. That's so good. And by the way, you know, being, you know, over our lot of time right now, which is, you know, here's the thing. It's not fair. It's not fair that we only have 30, 35 minutes. And I don't care if we go a little over because it's just not fair. And actually, when I, when I share this, this podcast, I'm literally going to put the, the it's not fair. <laughs> and I'm literally going to put that because I, I just think it's a perfect way to describe this, that there's so much here. We can go here for an hour and it'll be just as interesting from the first five minutes, at least from my point of view. So that's so good. Um, I want to ask you, my selfish side wants to ask, what are the other, if you have another nugget or two or another thing that your friend taught you here, but I want to make sure that, is there something that you want to talk about or something that you want to teach entrepreneurs that are listening, like, hey, I would stay away from this or I would go after that or I wish I knew this. Like, is there something that you want to talk about because you've got a lot to share. Other than everything I've spoken about up until now? Yeah, right. Well, no, that, 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 I mean, we can stop right there. And it's, you know, here's the thing. You only take away a couple of things. But what is something that you, like, that you want to talk about that you're like, if you don't, that's fine. I want to ask, hey, is there something else that you learned from your friend? Because it seems like that was a great influence in your life. Or maybe something you want to talk about that you're like, man, if I had to start all over and do this. Or if I was an entrepreneur and I'm starting a company right now, I would make sure to tell them this in a general sense, so they can not, you know, you know. Yeah, avoid the pitfalls. Um, Well, I guess to a certain extent, and this is, um, this wasn't necessarily from from Steve, because a lot of what Steve taught me was, you know, I'd I'd get into the numbers and I could talk about how to calculate utilization rates and realization rate and productivity numbers and all those kinds of things, which aren't necessarily the life lessons. Uh, I mean, he spoke, but also, you know, drive to completion, just get things done get you know face up to what really needs to be done to get it done but that's you know that's kind of what we all need to to do in life but from the standpoint of where i was going to go and i kind of went off on a tangent you know there's there's no such thing as failure just feedback you know the idea that you know you're gonna fail you know we hear this a lot that you're gonna you know fail your way to success but it's it's failure without looking back that's the problem. It's the failure without taking time to objectively, unemotionally, and emotions are a huge part of the passion of an entrepreneur. But if you can make yourself dispassionate, 
And I'll be one of the first people to tell you when something goes wrong and things aren't going the way I want them, I am fighting that inner, that inner angry Greg, you know, that, that just like, oh, I can't believe, you know, cause you're just like, you're, you don't understand all the things I got going on. It's like, take the time to be dispassionate and try to be as self-aware as to how you're affecting other people is, is something that, you know, controlling emotions, anger, is a luxury. It's a luxury most of us can't afford. Mm-hmm. When you really think about it, the damage that's done. And I, you know, I'm sure if I walked out into my office out there, there's there's debts that I owe to people in which I just showed anger when I shouldn't have. And and all the apologizing in the world is not going to you know fix that. And so it, you, it, it's anger is such it leaves such a lingering. Uh, almost like an uh, like a, an imprint on somebody that you just don't you just it's it's like a neural pathway that when it touches on it again it's such a quick nerve, so really and it and it's something you might be saying well why does an entrepreneur need to, entrepreneur need to know know that because we're running so hard we're running so fast we have a tendency to believe oh I can be angry and emotional because of it's a crisis right jumping from crisis to crisis you'll just totally take personal interaction and and respectful behavior and put it up on the shelf because you'll use crisis or the situation as an excuse. And it's so hard to say, I'm now in that moment in which I'm crushing somebody. It could be just a vendor, right? So where was the paradigm shift in that? Uh, where was the paradigm shift? Like, like, that, like, like when you were like, I'm not going to be that way anymore. It was funny. One time, Steve and I called a client. They owed us $60,000 and it was not good. It was not good. The, the CEO was evasive and everything else. And we, we were on a conference call and the receptionist answered the phone and she said, hi, blah, blah, blah. And I said, hey, is Vayne there? And Steve just goes, just a minute. He goes, hi, Lisa, how are you doing today? She said, I'm doing really well. And he goes, things going well? She's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, we haven't spoken in a while. How, you know, Could we please speak to so-and-so? And she's like, yeah, no problem, Steve. Connected us over and he looked at me and he goes, there's always time to be polite. That's good. Oh man, you know, and then at that moment, you're just like, I'm such a schmuck. You know, it was just like, that was, you might say, Greg, that's not a real boulder of wisdom, but it cut me at the core. Oh, that's, no, it is a boulder. Yeah, because I was like, oh my God, I'm, I, you know, growing up, everyone in high school said, Greg, you're such a nice guy. And you know, quite honestly, there are times I'm not a nice guy, you know, but I tell myself I'm a nice guy. And this guy just looked at me and said, there's always time to be polite. And I see myself in those situations with my own team, with my, you know, they'll just, they'll hop on the call and they'll just jump to the chase. And I'm like, you know what? There's time to say, hey, Dave, how's it going? So what do you do in your business? That's so good because when you said that, like as most people would say, they say, hey, Dave, you're such a nice guy. You know, people that, you know, that, you know, you know, it's so funny because my fiance heard this. She's like, yeah, like, you know, you need to take advice from Greg right now because sometimes, you know, it's so funny that we can be so nice and so kind and so enthusiastic for people, um, other people. But when we get to our closest loved ones, we can hurt them the most because it's time we can take our mask off. Right. So like when you said that, that hit me to the core. And I'm like, so many times I can get short. Like, no, I just need to get to the point. I have 16 more things to do. Mary, connect me with so-and-so. Yeah, exactly. So like... I, I mean, if someone can't take anything away from that, I think there's a blind spot. Yeah. There's a blind spot right there. So that that often can be my blind spot. So so. Well, the other one is also identifying, you know, for for what someone's real success is. Sometimes the people will uh, they'll forget. For example, if we're engaging with a client in a big corporation, right? 
she's and we're making a, an online presentation, right? And it's a, it's it's got to be interactive, and it's got all these videos, and everything's great. Her success isn't the deliverable. Her personal success is that her boss is happy. That's her personal success. I mean, obviously there are other ones involved, but if if she looks bad to her boss, we fail. It could be the greatest deliverable in the world. So that's where we've got to keep in mind that, you know, we never throw her under the bus. I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's interpersonal 101. Mm -hmm. But it's like we have to defend her brand with her boss. And then by extension, her boss and her brand are the client. So it, it works like what is the success for that individual, right? And those are kind of things that people forget about. It's not always the deliverable that's the success. It's how that person either feels or how they're represented. And if you make them look good, and that's one of the keys to what our success is, we've grown within these large companies because we're continually being referred because we're constantly focusing on how do we make that person who has asked us to engage with them and they're putting on us the request and responsibility to deliver for them. Because when they take our deliverable and they show it to others, they're putting their own personal brand on that deliverable. Mm -hmm. If we're not making them look good, then they're gonna, oh. We're missing it. They're missing it and they're, and we don't even know the damage that they're doing by not recommending us or undercutting us, just like my contractor who didn't realize that I have been consistently never mentioning his name when people are talking about doing it. And, and it was and it was the 5%, but, the 5 but the 5% is a huge 5%. So that being said, you know, um, we're, man, we can keep going. And, and to be honest with you, Greg, we're going to have to have you on for a different podcast in, in the, the future here for part yeah, two. I'd be happy to. Yeah, it'll be good, man. So um, again, I appreciate your time. So for those who are just like, this whole podcast made me think. It just made me think. And that being said, for those that really that listen to this and made them think, maybe they want to say something to you. Maybe they want to, you know, tell you. Yeah, reach out. What's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, honestly, uh, it's. Uh, or the best uh, that you want. Well, to put you can it find there. me on LinkedIn. Um, Greg Norton. Uh, you just look me up under Twisted Rope, or you know, you're happy to send. Uh, you know, like email Greg Norton at Twisted Rope. Com. So how do you spell Norton for those who N-O-R-T-O-N. Okay, just like you thought it would Exactly. Be. Okay. So G-R-E-G dot N-O-R-T-O-N at twisted dash hyphen rope dot com. All right, cool. Again, thanks so much for uh, for coming uh, coming on with us today and uh, and really just sharing your wisdom. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I just, you know, you, like one person once told me I've never saw a mic that I didn't like. <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks, brother. Thanks. If you loved listening to the Western New York Entrepreneurs Podcast and want more, subscribe to it and head on over to WNYEntrepreneur.com for articles, what's coming up next, and to get involved. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.